It's a privilege to be here with all of you today. And uh, I have been in ministry, primarily ministry to Muslims, for, oh boy, 30-something years. It's been a long time, and it's been a wild ride, and it's been the joy of my life. One of the things that scared me witless as a new believer was speaking up and letting other people know that I was a follower of Jesus. When I was, I accepted Christ when I was 13 years old, and by the time I was 16, I joined a uh, campus fellowship at the high school I was attending, but I was afraid of publicly professing Christ. But I started reading the Bible a chapter a night before going to bed, and I hit Matthew 10, 32 and 33, that said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. But if you profess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And it leapt up off, off of the page, slapped me in the face, and I knew God was speaking to me. And the very next day in my PE class, I went to another Christian and said, I'm a believer also. And I stuck a little pin on my jacket saying, Jesus saves. And uh, I became known as a Christian on my high school campus. And that was the start of big things for me. It seems I've been plagued by fears of various things over all my life. But you know what? Every time God drags me out of my fear to take a stand for him, I get blessed and others get blessed as well. My fear has hindered the work of God too many times in my life. But God has given me growth over the years and I have overcome many of those fears. Another one that used to plague me, as a young man, I noticed that there were these other creatures around that seemed rather interesting to me. Women. Now, I had read 1 Corinthians that talks about celibacy. So I was afraid, what if God were to ask this young man to be celibate so as to serve him and be more effective. And down in my guts, I was saying, oh Lord, no, please, not me. <laughs> uh, that's not the way I'd like for my life to go. But the second you say no to God, if you are walking with him down in your heart, the Holy Spirit's going to say, you're not right with God. Because you would say no to him if he were to ask anything. It doesn't matter what. The, the issue is, don't say no to God. So I wrestled with this in prayer until from my heart I could say, Lord, even if you call me to celibacy, I'll say yes to you. It was an issue. 
you just met my wife, so obviously <laughs> he didn't ask that one. But I had one other area that was the biggest struggle of my life at the time. That was my greatest fear. That greatest fear is, what if God were to ask me to be a missionary? Could I do it? And down in my heart, I said, oh, gosh, no, please, God, I beg you. I know what missionaries are. They're people that get on planes and fly to some far-off place, and then they get on some boat, and it chugs away to some remote area, and then they get in a canoe, and it's paddled up some river, and they're dumped off on the side, the bank of the river, and they hack their way through the jungles with machetes, pythons hanging from the trees, mosquitoes buzzing around, walking through the mud, and then they get to the Uga Booga tribe where they dig out, we have, you are such an honored guest, we have prepared our special cup of raw slugs for you to eat. And it's like, oh gosh, no, Lord, please. Anything but not a missionary, please. And as soon as I say it, I know in my heart, I've got a problem with God. The problem's not on his side, the problem's on my side. My heart is not right with God. So I wrestled for weeks over this issue until from my heart, I could say, yes, Lord, if you want me to be missionary, I will be. I'm glad both of us know you won't want that of me, but if you did, theoretically, I would say yes. And I resolved it. Now, obviously, I'm standing here before you today because God later on did say, I'm going to send you somewhere else. But let's get into scripture and see how the gospel spreads. A little bit of the background. Stephen is hauled before the Sanhedrin, the same people who killed Jesus just a few months before. And now he has to defend himself against false witnesses. And at the end of his defense, he's there speaking to them. And he says, look, I see heaven opening and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And the Sanhedrin, they've had all they can take. At this, they covered their, their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. A couple things I want to point out here. Number one, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man, 
the phrase Jesus used to identify himself in the book of Daniel, son of man is this heavenly figure who enacts, who brings the kingdom of God. And that's who Jesus claimed to be because that's who he actually was. So he uses that phrase and he says, standing at the right hand of God. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, in English, we have the phrase, your right-hand man. If you're a plumber and someone calls on you to fix their plumbing issue at the house, and you say, I can't make it that day. My wife's in the hospital. I'm going to a wedding. I'm out of town on vacation. I'll send my right-hand man. A right-hand man is someone that can be counted on, they've got just as much skill, if not more, because they've been apprenticed and they are the one who knows exactly what to do and it's just as good as getting the person you were calling on. This is saying Jesus is the right-hand man of God and he's saying it to the people who crucified him. So he's reiterating to the Sanhedrin, you guys murdered the Messiah. But that's what he is. I see him standing with God. That's why they cover their ears yelling at the top of their voices. They just don't want to bear the responsibility for what they did to Jesus. And now they're going to do the same thing to Stephen, who's the first follower of Jesus that gets murdered because of following Jesus. So they drag him out. Now, this is sort of a legal thing here. They laid, the, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So it's, it is an angry mob, but it's not pure mob violence. They're doing some legal things. Who gets to cast the first stone? The witnesses do. The mob cannot join in killing in the murder until the witnesses have cast the first stone. So uh, Saul can't join in the murder, but he helps the witnesses. You guys want to take off your coats to start picking up and throwing these rocks? Hand them over to me. I will help you. I will liberate you to do a murder. So that's Saul participating in the casting of the first stones. He can't cast the first stone, but he can help the ones who will. And that's who he is. By the way, it's an illegal murder as well. He's being murdered on the grounds of blasphemy, but it's not blasphemous because He's not making some charge against God. He's actually making a charge against the Sanhedrin. And they don't have the right to kill people who make charges against them. If I say, hey, I don't like your plaid shirt. It's like you can't call the police in on that. <laughs> but if I say, I don't like your car, and I smash out the windshield and I take stuff from in the car, I'm breaking the law. The police can take action then. So they don't have the right to kill him. But on that, this is all the background. On that day, a great persecution broke out against 
the church in Jerusalem. Believers in the house groups meeting all over Jerusalem and occasionally meeting uh, probably every week at the temple. Uh, they've been tolerated to this point, but now there's intolerance and persecution is coming on these believers. So, now we get to today's scripture text. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed, oh, turned to the Lord. Now, four questions come up. Why did they only tell Jewish people? And the answer is what sociologists call the homogeneous unit principle. And that means you're more comfortable speaking to people who are like yourself than you are to people who are unlike yourself. So, uh, the majority of us in this church, I noticed, tend to be white and middle class. So, if we go out and do evangelism, chances are most of your friends, most of your co-workers, most of your classmates will be white middle class people. It's who you're most comfortable with. Chances are they're the majority of your friends. How many of them would be Mexican or Vietnamese or from some other place? Well, probably not that many, but some of you have friends across cultural lines. The, uh, they told the good news about the Lord Jesus. What is this good news? If I were to tell someone about Jesus, what would I say? In what way is Jesus good news? Well, you should think of John 3.16. God so loved the world, so God's love is at work, that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The good news is this. I can know God. God cares about me. And a path to God has been made, and that path is not through my works, but through the substitutionary atonement, that's big words, of what Jesus did for me. That's how I can know God, and that's good news. Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. Where are these places? Well... Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and Cyrene have all been mentioned. Yes, this is an Old Testament map, but it, it fit what I was looking for. If you see that kind of uh, curvy red line that points down toward Moab, it goes through Jerusalem. North, and if you can tell on the map, the Sea of Galilee, uh, up a little below the Aram word, uh, that's Israel. North of that, an area we would call Lebanon, that's Phoenicia. See that island with its hand pointing off this direction? That's Cyprus, a little island. Uh, 
And the question is, what is Cyprus pointing at? Cyprus is pointing straight up to the city of Antioch. And that's where Antioch is. There's one last place, Cyrene. Where is that? It's off the map. If you were to go west from Egypt, that on this map it would be that direction. On both maps it would be that direction. Out in the middle of North Africa is a country we call Libya. And that in the old days is what they would call Cyrene. So these men from Cyprus and Cyrene tell us the gospel is spread among Jewish people all the way out to North Africa and all the way up to Antioch. It's like that uh, southern Turkey almost, that little corner that Cyprus is pointing at, that's how far believers have gone telling the good news to Jewish people. Uh, but there's a couple of, there's a handful of people, we don't know if it's four or five or six people, but it's only a handful who are from North Africa and from Cyprus up in Antioch where the island is pointing who tell the news to Greeks. In the New Testament, it's another way of saying Gentiles, since uh, from the time of Alexander the Great, about 300 BC, uh, when he took over all the world as far as India, uh, Greek became the international language. And so for Jewish people, the Greeks is another way of saying not just from Greece, that's also off the map, but it's a way of saying Gentiles. So these Jewish people from Gentile areas, North Africa and Cyprus, tell their Gentile friends, and that gives birth to a Gentile church in the city of Antioch. What was God's response to this? The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed in the Lord. I want to point out, the Lord's hand was with them as they told unbelievers the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus worked with them and people got saved. And you know what? That's exactly what the Great Commission says. Go into all the world, tell the gospel to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what comes next? Do you know? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And here we see Jesus fulfilling that promise that he is with these regular believers, working with them and through them, and people are getting saved. Jesus is fulfilling his promise that he made. You can read it in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And that's how the gospel spreads. Regular people tell others there's a way to know God. They say, that way is Jesus. Jesus. 
and they explain who he was. See, even Stephen did this uh, when he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus is God's person and to know Yahweh, you need to know Jesus. That Yahweh is known through Yeshua who you crucified just a few months ago. And, and the Sanhedrin goes berserk. But he was a witness because he's proclaiming who is this Jesus really? And when you and I tell other people who is Jesus? He is the path to God who wants to love you and know you and build a relationship with you. That's all we have to say. Tell them who Jesus is. And miracles happen. People repent of sin. They believe in Jesus. God's grace starts transforming lives. So let's keep reading. What happens next? News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, transforming lives, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. See, well, let's finish first. To look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So what do you do when you have a great number of people come to Christ? Barnabas is probably the only highly educated in terms he was a Levite. Uh, and from Cyprus, by the way. So he's faithful to God. He knows scripture well. But he also understands uh, Gentile culture. That's probably why the church in Jerusalem sent him. He's the guy for the job. But he can see as, gosh, there's more people being saved than I can handle. What am I going to do? Well, Saul up in Tarsus, not too far away from Antioch, he was a Pharisee. He knows scripture really well, but he grew up in Tarsus. He understands Gentile culture. I'm going to go get him. I need him to teach these great numbers that are coming to Christ. That's why he goes to Tarsus looking for Saul. So what do you do next? Well, uh, oops, that's on the wrong slide. That he goes and gets someone else who can teach the new believers. The new believers need to learn how to walk with God. So he gets another teacher, and together they disciple these great numbers. Now let's finish the uh, passage off. During this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. 
This they did, sending their gifts to the elders in Jerusalem by Barnabas and Saul. So the new believers in Antioch, who were being taught by Barnabas and Saul, learn there's going to be hard times coming, and they know that the believers undergoing persecution down in Jerusalem are having hard times, and when this famine hits, they will be struggling. So they prepare a gift and send so that the believers in another area under persecution during a time of famine can be sustained. There's compassion at work among these new believers. They care about believers that are elsewhere undergoing persecution and struggle. So the gospel spreads through the witness of everyday believers. They boldly talk to others of God and Jesus. They care about the well-being of others. Some even tell the good news across cultural borders. They love God, Jesus, Scripture, and are excited to tell others the good news. Even in times of persecution, they speak up about what God has done. They teach the new believers how to walk with God biblically. And if they don't have teachers among them, they go find teachers who can teach the new believers what they need to know. And God works in everyone's lives, both the tellers of the good news and the listeners of good news. God's grace, and this, this Baptist church happens to be a grace Baptist church. I mean, God's grace can be at work among us and at work through us. This raises a few questions for us. To what extent do I love Jesus? Is my life anything like the lives of the early believers we read about here? If it is, hooray, praise the Lord. If it isn't, I've got something to get right with God. And there is a scale of growth. You are somewhere on that growing process. But you can make a choice and say, I am going to be a follower of Jesus. And that choice alone will move you forward toward maturity in your growth in Christ. Next, can it be seen in my Bible study? They were hungry for the word of God. They were getting it through Barnabas and then they got it through Saul, whose name changes to Paul. And they want to know scripture. Can it be seen in my care for others? In the conversations I have, do I tell other people about Jesus with the words that I have? Do I have an outreach aspect to my life? If God asked me to go across cultures to some other culture, could I? Would I? These guys from, from Cyprus and Cyrene, they decided, hey, all these Jewish people are coming to Christ. I'm going to tell, all these Jewish people are coming to the Messiah. I am going to tell Gentile, Greek-speaking people about Christ, the Greek word for the Hebrew word, Messiah. 
could you do that here in Santa Maria? Do you know, I, I found out this morning a statistic. It's something like 4% or something of the population of Santa Maria are Filipinos. How many of you ate donuts this morning? Okay, bunches of us. How many of you ate cassava cake this morning? Only a handful of us. Do you know that's the same as what we read about here? It's only a handful that steps across cultural lines to tell people in another culture about Jesus. The ones who ate cassava cake should be telling the Filipinos and the Mexicans in this city about Jesus and then invite them to church and have them finish off the rest of the cassava cake that wasn't finished out there. There's plenty of donut eaters. Let's get some cassava cake eaters in here. People that might speak with an accent or wear different clothes. We can reach across cultural lines right here in this city. When persecution, if person, it's actually if and when, persecution came or comes on me, will I be faithful? It's important to answer those. So the heart of the issue is, I love God, I love his word, and I love Jesus as my savior. Why? Because I am a disciple of Jesus. I don't make compromises in those areas. I guard my heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4.23. I guard my heart with diligence. I am going to be a man or a woman or a kid in love with Jesus and I'm going to stand for him. I'm going to see I love God with all my heart. I love his word. I love Jesus. My joy centers on his work in and through me. As I become a person of God in my heart, in my marriage, in my family, in my work, in my faith community, thank Grace Baptist Church, in my unsaved community, think of your workplace, think of your neighbors, uh, by the way, also think of county commissioners and mayors and senators and congressmen and governors of California. Couldn't you or maybe your youth group, if you could train some of these youth that we've got around here to think in terms of politics, to become teachers and lawyers and politicians and media broadcasters. They would bring godly influence back into the power centers of our culture. And as we watch our culture run off the rails, we could actually train our kids to move into areas of influence as followers of Jesus. That's somebody saying, your time's almost up. Okay, so at any rate, take the idea, run with it, love your kids, teach your kids, teach them to be strong and stand for Jesus in an increasingly godless world 
where, where they may face persecution, at least a silencing culture where we need to learn to speak up whether people want to silence us or not. So uh, where was I? Unsaved community and our missions to the end of the earth. Uh, let me put this idea out before you. How many families here have adopted a missionary from the missionaries that are supported by Grace Baptist? Some of you, praise the Lord. I see a couple hands here and there. Just think of it. What if your family were to say, we have a burden for linguistics, so we're going to choose a Wycliffe missionary that does language and Bible translation and pray for that family. We have a burden for Muslims. We're going to take the Harders or someone else, the Taylors, serving Muslims overseas or even here in the States, and we're going to pray for them. If you're not inclined to adopt a missionary or mission family and keep them in your prayers, what about some sort of religious block, such as Islam? What if the Go, uh, the Go Committee, okay, the, the Global Outreach Committee were to say, once a year, every year, in the spring, in the summer, we are going to have a, a two-day seminar and this year it's going to be all about Islam and we want everybody to attend to learn something about Muslims and pray for the Islamic world. Do you think those prayers could have an impact in the Islamic world? What about the following year? This year we're going to pick Hindus. The following year we're going to pick Buddhists. The following year we're going to pick animists, people that believe in gods and spirits and the trees and the rocks and stuff like that. Uh, some year we'll pick communists and atheists. We'll pray for these massive blocks of mankind and teach our people to care about it. And then you could adopt, if you don't adopt a missionary or a mission family, what if you were to adopt a religious block and start praying through the countries represented in that block? What would the outcome be if you say, I love God, my joy centers in expressing that love in my family, in my work, in my community? The end result would be you would be filled with the praise of God. Your family would be fulfilled with the praise of God for you being the man or the woman God called you to be. And Santa Maria would be shaken to the core by the number of people that are out loving God, enjoying serving Him, and giving praise to Him. Okay, thank you for your attention. Let's pray. Father God, we cry out to you. Help us to be men and women and kids that love and serve you where you are our priority, where our lives center on you, where we're not caught up in the world, the flesh, and the devil, but we desire to be your people and as such will impact the world. May you, Lord Jesus, be glorified 
and known as the one who stands at the right hand of God as our path to God who gives hope to the world and purpose in our lives. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.